The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street struggling to keep any relief rally alive. The stocks track for their worst first half since 1970. Weakness here, but strength overseas. China set to close out one of its best months in years. Is it too late to ride that wave higher? NATO trying to boost its military might, adding two new member nations. This is a week-long summit convenes in Madrid. Despite a rocky start, Disney's board of directors has faith in its CEO, giving Bob Chapek three more years to make his vision a reality. And then Tesla making some cuts. Several hundred jobs at a California factory go away. It is Wednesday, June 29th. And this is Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. And as always, welcome from wherever in the world that you may be watching. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. Jump right in and get right now to these markets after another pretty miserable day for most stocks out there. We are seeing futures right now. They are mildly higher. Dow futures may be up about 37 points. So one-tenth of one percent. But as we have noted, futures at this hour, I mean, we're going to show them to you because we have to, but they're not great indicators, to be honest about that. Futures were higher this time yesterday as well, but investors continue to sell into most of the gains that we see. Dow ended up, you know, down 500 points on the day. NASDAQ down 2%. The S&P 500 remaining on pace for its worst half to a year since 1970 with a more than 19% decline. I mean, consider that. We're on pace for a 38% drop this year. Likely won't get that bad. Let's hope not. But that's the pace that we are on. The NASDAQ on pace for its worst quarter since the 2008 financial crisis. And with nearly every single S&P 500 sector in correction or bear markets, there remains one that has been relatively unscathed, and that is utilities, actually. The only sector not more than 10% from its most recent high utilities often seen as a very sort of safe or defensive play. Now, stocks down overall as bond yields have risen this year and borrowing costs continue to climb. Right now, the 10-year yield actually down a couple of ticks at 3.15%. Crude oil as well, maybe flat to slightly down this morning. But overall, and maybe this could be an RBI, but we have a better one for you. Oil is on pace for its ninth straight quarterly gain which would be its longest quarterly win streak ever, going back to 1983 when we started tracking it. And a reminder that OPEC will meet virtually tomorrow. No change in their current policy is expected, but it's OPEC, so you never know. And in crypto, we are seeing both Bitcoin and Ether lower right now. They are on pace for their worst month since November of 2018. I feel kind of like the Grim Reaper up here with all these stats, but you got to call it like you see it. And the numbers, of course... They don't lie. All right, let's check on the numbers and some of the early headlines in trade in Europe. Rosanna Lockwood is in our London newsroom with that and a lot of red on your screen as well, Rosanna. 
Yeah, Brian, bit of a grim reaper from London this morning looking at these European markets. We've got a lot of red across all the sectors. What is happening here? It's largely an inflation story. Particularly want to uh, point your attention over to the far side here. The DAX in Germany down 1.3%, the IBEX in Spain by about the same, but very different stories going on. We've had very large inflation data out of Spain this morning, heading into the double digits, uh, not seen in many decades for that country. Meantime, a surprise to the downside for Germany. We've had some preliminary data out of some German states that has actually been lower than expected, 0.1% or so for North Rhine-Westphalia, a region in Germany. You've got Brandenburg out as well. This is ahead of more Eurozone data. But basically, inflation concerns feeding into the equities markets will come back to the fixed income markets because you're seeing it playing out in yields as well. The FTSE 100 down around a half a percent. Plenty of meetings going on. You know, the NATO summit in Madrid, of course, as well as this ECB meeting in Portugal. Let's give you a look at sectors as well this morning and what's happening in those because basic resources has been an outperformer of late, especially with the latest China news. Not so much this morning. You're seeing it not even on the board currently. Oil and gas, though, however, as you just mentioned there, those benchmarks, that's leading this sector up higher in Europe. Autos did well off the China quarantine news yesterday and this idea that supply chains may be easing, but down heavy today. I did promise you yields. Let's give you a look at those as well, because as you know, Brian, the 10-year bond, it is the benchmark yield for the euro area. It was at a high yesterday. It's now 1.59. It is falling off by quite a few bips. Ah, but a little bit of green on the screen. Oil and gas has been the place to be all year long. Who'd have thunk it? Rosanna Lockwood, thank you very much. All right, let's stick with markets and your trading day ahead. After yesterday's broad-based sell-off, pretty much on the heels of that weak consumer confidence number, this morning we're hearing from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester going really against the chorus of other Fed heads who've been downplaying recession risks. Here's Mester on CNBC Europe earlier today. There's certainly a lot of uncertainty about what the path forward is. And I, I would say that there are risks of recession. We're tightening monetary policy. Um, we have to do that to get inflation down. So there are risks. My baseline forecast is for growth to be slower this year than it was certainly last year, where it was 5.5%, which is extremely high. Um, and we're going to see some slower growth this year. But we're, that's okay. I think that sums it up perfectly. Certainly uncertainty. So what does that all mean for stocks, given that we have already been slammed by nearly 20% on the S&P 500? Joining us now is Anna Hahn, equity strategist at Wells Fargo Securities. And at least we're hearing one Fed president out there saying, hey, things are pretty grim. When you hear that kind of talk, does it change the way you and your team think about investing in U.S. stocks right now? Uh, good morning, Brian. Absolutely. I think when we think about what the GDP for the U.S. outlook is, that really does drive sentiment. And sentiment is a big part of how equity performance goes. Our base case right now, that is to say, we think it's a little more likely than a coin flip that we see a mild recession by mid-2023. And by mild, when I quantify that, I'd say somewhere around a contraction from peak to trough of around 1%. Put that in context, during the financial crisis, we saw a contraction about 4%. And that can weigh on equities, but there's still a list of near-term and a positive and negative catalysts that could help the market. Okay, what are some of those po positive catalysts, Anna? Because we need some good news. We need something to look forward to. 
Sure. And I think a lot of people remember household wealth right now is very closely tied to equities, historically high, nearly 25 percent, almost a quarter of household wealth has been tied to equity. So there are a lot of people looking and scouring for that good news. I think one of those triggers could be really if the Fed gives some indication that we are going to become less hawkish uh, faster than the market is pricing in currently. And for this, that could be maybe if the CPI print, next CPI print comes a little shy of estimates, that could be a near-term catalyst. But for something more sustainable, I think we really need to see that the two-year Treasury yield, which often can be an indicator of where the market expects Fed funds need to get to, and Fed funds can sort of align here. And if we can start seeing that the Fed is really grabbing a hold of inflation and reestablishing that credibility, that could help and give an indicator that perhaps the tightening cycle could be over sooner than what's expected right now. The question you no doubt get all the time, I, I, I get it just walking through airports is people will say, hey, you know, is now the time to jump in? I've, I've had my eyes on some of these stocks and they're down 25, 35%. Should I put money to work? I'm like, don't listen to me. Listen to folks like Anna Han. So I'll give you their question, Anna. Should they go, let's call it dumpster diving right now for some equities? You know, dumpster diving is one term. I would say bottom fishing. And what we've said earlier is this summer, the bottom fishing is canceled. We do not recommend right now dumpster diving or going into what we look at as the real poor performers. I know it's tempting and it can be, especially given how down the market is. And when portfolios are feeling pain, there's sort of two reactions. One can be to get very defensive, but the other can be to go for those Hail Marys. And those Hail Marys are those really beaten up names to us. We don't recommend that. We think those are broken stories. And given that our base case scenario is for a mild recession next year, we think it's too soon to really dive for those broken stories. Instead, we recommend toning down the cyclicality in the portfolio and moving more towards looking for that sustainable earnings growth and growth at the okay. right price. Well, when you guys change your thoughts and Figure that it is time to go uh, bottom fishing or dumpster diving, whatever you want to call it. Let us know. We'll get you back on and we'll talk about it. Anna Han, Wells Fargo Securities. Have a great day. Thank you for coming on, Anna. Take care. All right, we've got a lot to do when we come back on this Wednesday morning. Despite a struggling stock and what looks like a big bust in the movie Lightyear, Disney says it is sticking with its CEO. More on that ahead. Plus, tracking China's big stock boom whether it's too late to go along for that ride. And later on, waving the recession red flag. We'll check out one under-the-radar indicator doing just that as we dig more into the so-called rule of 10. You'll hear about that or hear more about that when Wex returns. Stick around. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. All right, welcome back. Let's get a check on some of this morning's other top stories out there, including another U.S. government move against China and Beyond Meat keeps trying to get consumers interested in its fake meat. Savannah Hanau is here with those and more. Savannah, good morning. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Let's start with the Commerce Department because it's adding five new Chinese companies to its export blacklist for violating sanctions and allegedly providing support to Russia's military. The firms being put on the entity list effectively bars U.S. companies from exporting to them. Pinterest's longtime CEO and co-founder Ben Silberman is stepping down and transitioning to executive chairman of the board. That's a newly created position. Former Google Commerce President Bill Reddy will be taking his place and will also be joining Pinterest's board of directors. Jim Cramer will have more on this with his exclusive conversation with Silberman and Reddy tonight on Mad Money, 6 p.m. Eastern. And Beyond Meat is preparing to launch a sliced steak product as it looks to boost sluggish sales. The company plans to launch the new steak product this year in retail stores and eventually restaurants. Company CEO Ethan Brown tells The Wall Street Journal the faux steak is, quote, probably one of our best products to date, Brian. How do you feel about that steak? I don't want to knock Beyond Meat. I know there's a lot of people that love it. I've tried all these products. I find them Sort of just all tasting like a block of salt, but that's I agree. just my own I've tasted take. them again, too. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I don't know. I feel like kind of like a deer, like with like a salt lick or something. I, but people love them. By <laughs> yeah, the way, that's true. Yeah. One minute, nobody. My cares. sister does. My sister loves go. it. I'll, I'll mm-hmm. give it. I'll give this. I'll give this a shot with a bunch exactly. of cheese, onions, yes. and <laughs> yes. bread, and we'll do it. So now, thank good. you very much. You by the way, everything with. Cheese, onions, and bread. We just made it good no matter oh. what it is. Could be a sock in there. Uh, Savannah, thank you. All right. While stocks here continue to fall, Chinese stocks continue to boom. As we showed you yesterday in the RBI, Chinese markets have been red hot lately. This after the Communist Party wised up and looks like it's backing off its failing COVID zero policy as well as easing quarantine rules for travelers. China is one of the few markets that are actually higher lately or this year. Shanghai Composite, it's up about 6%, while the NASDAQ of China, the tech-heavy Shenzhen, is up more than 9%. So has the outlook improved enough, really, for you to consider getting back into China? Sarah Lian is Director and Client Portfolio Manager at East Spring Investments and joins us now. Sarah, welcome to the program. To what do you attribute uh, what has been a red-hot last few months for most Chinese stocks? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a couple things going on, Brian. First of all, the valuations in the Chinese equity space were very, very heavily sold down. Um, there were an, a number of issues. Uh, in addition to COVID-19, there was also the issues of, of regulatory reform in a number of sectors, like in the uh, education sector and the Internet and e-commerce sector. So there, there's been a lot of bad news. And I think What's happened is a lot of this is already in the price and investors are acknowledging that from here, the downside risk is, is quite limited. Uh, we, we've you know, eaten the worst of, 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 the, of the returns and that from here, things seem to be stabilizing. As you mentioned earlier, China is backing down on some of its 
um, COVID-19 lockdown restrictions. It's becoming more open. Travel um, restrictions are, are, are becoming less stringent. So all of that is, is sort of helping to push the China market forward after all the pain that we've experienced in, in the last 12 to 18 months. So we've seen a pretty sharp recovery. We, we've had some of the numbers. It, well, it's been incredible. I mean, Sarah, we had some of the numbers yesterday, and don't quote me on exactly the numbers, but it was something like of the 2,000 or so stocks in the Shenzhen A index, 200 were up more than 200% off their lows, and the top stock was up 900% off its low. I mean, just incredible numbers, arguably off of some pretty low lows last year. So you just wonder how much sort of more gas is in that tank. Although the Chinese government is probably the only major economy stimulating right now. That's right. It is the only major world economy that is that is stimulating while the rest of the of the world is in you know tightening mode. So we think that is certainly a positive. The, the Chinese government is very committed to restoring growth and, and balanced growth, you know, not just growth for growth's sake. You know, we're, we're still not out of the woods yet. The, the COVID-19 policy, the, the property market as well, I didn't mention that earlier, but that's been a huge headwind on the, on the China market. We've seen defaults in the property market sector at levels that we haven't really seen in the past. But all of that does seem to be bottoming out. We think that um, earnings stability will, will will come in, you know, down the road. So we are been, you know, amping up our positioning in China and, and but being very specific about what we own. But like yeah. you said, we're coming off okay. some very extreme drawdowns. Get more into that specificity because there's really three different Chinese markets. You got Shenzhen, you got Shanghai, those are mainland indexes. Those are primarily owned by domestic Chinese investors. In fact, in many cases, you simply cannot own the stocks directly as an outside non-Chinese investor. Then, of course, you've got the Hang Seng, which are the companies that are listed globally. We can buy them today, tomorrow, whatever. Names that sort of more of our viewers probably know. Is there one part of the Chinese market, Sarah, that you are recommending more than others right now? Not really. So within each of those pockets, for example, in, in the offshore China names or the, the names that are more accessible to international investors, you know, we do think that the, the Internet e-commerce names look interesting. Uh, those stocks, as, as you mentioned, have rallied pretty hard uh, over the last six, eight weeks. But we do think that structurally with a consumption driven economy in China, that these types of e-commerce names are, are very, very important to the Chinese economy. So these are, you know, the, the e-commerce Internet uh, related names, yeah. e-gaming as well, cybersecurity, things like this. Um, within the domestic market, we're also very bullish on the domestic brands. So whether it be things like sportswear or dairy products or uh, food and beverage like uh, Baiju, that alcoholic drink that's um, like the wine in China, those types of names, um, huh. which are which are onshore China names, are also looking very attractive to us. Well, listen, they're celebrating and maybe they have reason to do it, Sarah, after two plus years of hard lockdowns. Their spending spree may, may look ours, look like, like nothing. We'll find out. Sarah Leanne, thank you very much. Appreciate your views. Have a great day. Take care. All right, still on deck. We're going to dig more into the so-called rule of 10. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago and why it may be signaling a big slowdown ahead. If you haven't heard it, you're going to want to hear it. It's an interview you can't afford to miss, and it's coming up. Stick around. 
people today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back. Just going to check on some headlines outside of the world of money and business. NBC's Francis Rivera in New York with those. Francis, good morning. Hi, Brian. Good morning. Bombshell allegations made at the surprise January 6th hearing. The former White House aide claiming then-President Trump aggressively tried to join the rioters at the Capitol. She also said the frustrated president threw his lunch against the wall. And there is ketchup dripping down the wall, and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at the attorney general's AP interview. Former President Trump is dismissing Hutchinson as, quote, bad news on his social media platform, Truth Social. Mr. Trump said he hardly knows who this person is, and he also claimed he personally turned her down for a role after he left office and that she was very upset and angry. An aide for the select committee tells NBC News that they found Ms. Hutchinson's testimony to be credible and that anyone who wishes to provide information under oath is welcome to. An FDA panel is proposing a modified COVID booster in the fall. The panel voted 19 to 2, recommending that COVID boosters later this year target the Omicron variant. The panel questioned whether the boosters should target the original Omicron strain or the subvariants that make up over half of new cases in the U.S. The FDA's top vaccine regulator said a decision on the boosters could be made in early July. And Serena Williams was in a three-set thriller for the ages in the first round at Wimbledon. her first Grand Slam match in a year. Williams is out of the tournament, losing a back-and-forth nail-biter to France's Harmony Tan, and later tweeted that she enjoyed the match, but not, quote, the outcome she wanted. And when asked if this might be her last match, Brian, she said, I don't know. Who knows what's out there? Who knows what's in store? You never know where I'm going to pop up. So at age 40, we're going to see. We're going to, you know, watch her pop up on the quarter off, Brian. Yeah, not quite the outcome, but certainly what a match, as you noted. Francis Rivera, after a year off, just simply unbelievable. Francis, thank you very much. Mm -hmm. Sure thing. All right, straight ahead. We're going to get more on the markets and your money and why investors and consumers need to buckle off for what Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester calls a bumpy ride ahead. 
Stock futures, they're up a bit. We're back right after this. All right, stocks trying to get it. Well, turnaround Wednesday, I guess, going. Falling, falling on Tuesday in a big way over concerns around the consumer. Pressure not letting up. Futures fighting for some momentum slightly in the green right now. NATO leaders convening in Madrid, welcoming two new members as the bloc hardens its defenses against Russia. CNBC is live at the summit with the very latest. And who's ready to hop on a private jet? Well, America's CEOs, that's who. In fact, the big new numbers ahead on just how much companies are spending to send their execs around the country. You got to hear it. It is happening on this Wednesday, June 29th. And this is Worldwide Exchange. Right, welcome and welcome back, everybody, and good Wednesday morning. I am Brian Sullivan. Thanks for being with us. Let's get right now to your money after yesterday's well, pretty miserable last few hours of trading for most stocks. And let's see how things look right now. We are seeing Dow futures up about one-tenth of one percent, NASDAQ about the same. Really, investors kind of looking into any kind of reason to buy equities right now, not finding a lot and having to digest some new comments from Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester, who spoke on CNBC Europe earlier this morning, diverting somewhat from her central bank peers and saying that we are pretty much indeed on the way for a recession. Listen. I expect to see unemployment rates rise over the next two years to a little above 4% or 4.25%. And again, that's still very good labor market conditions. So we're in this transition right now. And I think that's going to be a painful one in some respects. And it's going to be a bumpy ride in some respects. But it's very necessary that we do it to get those inflation numbers down. Yeah, when you hear Fed presidents use words like painful and bumpy ride, and they tend to tone down their language, you got to pay attention. Mester adding that she has yet to see any data that would suggest pumping the brakes on rate hikes, at least now. It's still going to be a, a, a debate, I think, about 50 or 75. We still have a couple weeks to go to look at the data. If conditions were exactly the way they were today, going into that meeting, like if the meeting were today, I would be advocating 75 because I haven't seen the kind of numbers on the inflation side that I need to see in order to, you know, think that we can go back to a 50 increase. So I think right now I would be advocating 75. But again, we don't have to make that decision today. Getting interest rates up to that three to three and a half percent is really important that we do that and do it expeditiously and do it consistently as we go forward. So it's after that point where I think there's more uncertainty about how far we'll need to go. That is Cleveland Fed President Loretta Mester speaking with CNBC Europe earlier this morning. And uh, take note of it. I mean, listen, the Nasdaq 100 fell nearly 4% yesterday. We had a big week for stocks last week, one of the best in a long time. Not the case this week as well. Sell these rallies. You've heard that from so many strategists on this program the last couple of weeks, and that's exactly what investors are doing. All right, what about in the oil market as well? We're seeing the price of oil. It rose again Yesterday, concerns about these price caps that have been thrown out certainly impacting the price of oil, and we're up again. Crude oil back to 112 bucks a barrel. U.S. traded oil now is on pace for its ninth straight positive quarter, and that is the longest quarterly win streak on record, although going back to when records were kept in 1983. And keep in mind that oil was negative for a day two years ago, so of course 
It is a lot easier to go up from zero than down. But either way, a heck of a win streak for oil. Nine straight quarters where the price of oil has gone up. And it may stay that way. Speaking of oil and gas, we got some headlines crossing moments ago from Shell's CEO, Ben Van Burden, who is speaking in Singapore. Van Burden saying that it will be impossible to replace Europe's Russian pipeline gas supplies with liquefied natural gas alone. And he sees a, quote, problematic winter ahead. Van Verden also speaking and saying that he sees an ever-tightening oil and gas market, as well as upward pressure on oil prices for some time to come. In other words, higher prices for longer. Van Verden also says we're going to have to face some uncertainty in markets for some time to come. As spare production capacity is low, demand is recovering. So a couple of big headlines just crossing moments ago from the CEO of Shell speaking in Singapore. And by the way, echoing what other oil executives have said, suggesting recently that oil prices may be high for some time to come as lack of investment in oil and gas over the last few years is coming back to bite the markets and, of course, to bite you, the consumer. Well, President Biden and fellow NATO members kicking off their summit in Madrid, Spain. The group looking to show some signs of solidarity and strength in the face of Russia's aggression. With the president saying a short time ago that the alliance will make sure it is ready to meet threats from all directions. Kayla Tausche is on the ground in Madrid where President Biden spoke with reporters last hour. And she is here with what's going on. Kayla, what do we learn, if anything? Well, Brian, President Biden was greeted just a few moments ago at the opening of the summit today by NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, where the alliance is preparing a dramatic upgrade to its military forces across the transatlantic as it faces that increasing threat from Russia. Here's President Biden addressing that just last hour. Together, our allies, we're going to make sure that NATO is ready to meet threats in all directions across every domain, land, air, and the sea. In the moment where Putin has shattered peace in Europe and attacked the very, very tenets of rule-based order, the United States and our allies, we're going to step up. NATO is increasing its rapid reaction force to 300,000. These are troops on standby that are ready to be deployed within a matter of days. And that increase is meant to deter Russia further. And last night, Turkey ended its opposition to Sweden and Finland joining the alliance after the three countries reached a deal with the Nordics, uh, pledging better vigilance against groups Turkey sees as terrorists. And when the expansion is finalized, it will be the largest since 2004 when eastern flank countries bordering Russia were added. Now, NATO's border with Russia is about to double. Allies agreeing to defend new land and sea, representing about 10 percent of the area of the United States in exchange for Nordic defenses, totaling about $14 billion. This morning, leaders are set to hear again from Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky. In prior addresses to this organization, uh, he has made urgent and fervent pleas for more weapons and more assistance. The group has been reluctant to engage in anything that could be seen as provocation or engagement in a direct conflict with Russia. But four months into this conflict, we'll see where they come out today. Brian. All right. As far as membership goes, Caleb, how fast could Sweden and Finland truly become members? Does that sort of officially happen in Madrid? What's the timeline for their membership? Well, it 
will be processed here in Madrid. There will be ample discussion about it. The secretary general has promised it would be a swift process, perhaps unprecedented in nature. But it's still expected to take several months, Brian, because this is a change to a treaty, which means that each of the country's legislatures must sign on. And that's a rather time uh, in, in time sensitive process. You know, we saw the quickest accession back in 2009 when Croatia and Albania joined. But even that process took about 12 months. So experts say it could be mm something that we see happen this fall. All right, this fall, Kayla Tausche in Madrid on the ground at the NATO summit. Kayla, we're glad you're there. Thank you very much. All right, now let's get back to the economy. And do you remember, loyal viewer, a few weeks ago, our RBI, we brought you something called the Rule of Ten. It was the idea that when gas prices and mortgage rates add up to 10 or more, a major slowdown or recession generally follows. Well, we are there right now, especially in many parts of America. So let's bring in the author of The Rule of Ten, Don Rissmiller, Strategist Research Partners, as well as getting his macro view on the economy right now. And Don, for our viewers that did not see that segment, it's a pretty simple idea, but I think it's ingenious in many ways. You and your team have found that when, you know, gas is five bucks plus and mortgage rates are five bucks plus or mortgages are seven and gas is three, doesn't matter the mix. Whatever we go that those two things add up over 10 bad things tend to happen. Yeah, Brian, that's right. And I don't think it's a really uh, detailed concept. It's simply that all companies and consumers use energy and all companies and consumers use money. And when the cost of both are rising, the economy tends to slow down. So we've hit that historical threshold where consumers say enough. Yeah, and of course, in the past, it probably would have been the, the rule of ten would have been you know an eight percent mortgage rate and two percent you know two, or eight dollar eight percent mortgages and two dollar gas. Obviously, because gasoline prices were cheaper for longer. Now we've got gas making up perhaps half of that. I mean, it's gas prices are five and and mortgages are five. Have you found digging in, Don, that it matters what the mix of those two numbers are? In other words, how we get to ten does that matter? It matters less than you would think. And, and the reason is that both of these series tend to be leading indicators. So the interesting feature of this sum is that the relationship tends to lead by about a year. So when consumers think there's a shock that's relatively short term, they might dip into savings or run up their credit card balances. So those are ways to deal with gasoline price increases that you believe are temporary. And we do see some of that activity happening today. Consumers are dipping into savings. If we look at the cash cushion that's been built up over the past two years, that is now starting to run down. Also, revolving credit is starting to move up. And so it's less about the mix than about the total shock. But the important feature, the interesting feature, is that both of those lead, and that's what we're setting up for over the next 12 months. Is it a is it I hate to use the word lock like in sports, nothing's ever a lock. But I mean, is it, a, is it based on history? Is it a pretty good shot that hanging out over 10 for a period of time that not guarantees, but ensures a recession or major slowdowns ahead, Don? Right. So there are periods where you have a slowdown, but not a recession. But we've certainly based on history enter a challenging period when you have these type of conditions. And so that's where we are sitting today. So a lock might be a, a strong statement, 
But the idea that the economy is going to have a challenging year, and we've already started that, and it's likely to continue, I think, is is pretty much said at this point. Yeah, pretty interesting stuff. Don Rissmiller on the rule of 10. We love bringing it to our audience vis-a-vis the RBI. Don, thank you for coming up, uh, coming on the program earlier this morning. And keep us updated on what you're seeing, Don. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, the rule of 10, folks. Something to follow. All right, coming up, do you ever dream of flying private? Well, CEOs, they don't have to dream. The huge numbers many big companies are spending Keep their, pri- their execs on private jets, your RBI. But as we head to break, some other key headlines that are happening right now. And speaking of having to fly commercial with the masses, Delta Airlines allowing its customers to change their flights for free over the 4th of July holiday weekend. The move coming as airlines struggle to meet demand and cancellations grow. The summer travel picks up. Remember when for two years after COVID we saw changes free anyway? Anyway. CVS announcing it is removing a purchase limit on emergency contraceptive pills. The company saying it's making the move after sales returned to normal following a surge on the back of the Roe versus Wade decision. And an FCC commissioner asking Apple and Google to remove TikTok from their app stores. Brendan Carr sharing a letter to the two tech companies making the request, citing data security concerns. That seems like a really big story. Maybe we'll get more on Tech Check today. Who knows? Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Well, today is June 29th, and while it may just seem like any other day in early summer, actually a lot of landmark business-related events have taken place on this date in history. In fact, happy 15th birthday to the iPhone. First iPhones were sold 15 years ago today after Apple first launched them to wild fanfare in January of 2007. Since then, more than 2 billion iPhones have been sold and literally changed the way we live, probably in in some good and bad ways. Two years later, in 2009, on this day, a judge sentenced Bernie Madoff to 150 years in prison for his historic Ponzi scheme, Madoff dying just over a year ago in a North Carolina prison. And also on this day, back in 2015, Microsoft released its Windows 10 operating system, ushering in a more unified and integrated user interface, as they would say. So June 29th, one of the biggest days in business news. Who knew? Well, you do now. And now to some things that are happening today on June 29th, 2022. Tesla announcing it is closing its office in San Mateo, California, and cutting 200 jobs there. Workers at that facility were tasked with labeling videos from Tesla cars in order to improve their driver assistance systems. The move is part of a broader cost-cutting effort by the EV maker. U.S. authorities reportedly stopping a ship traveling from Russia to New Orleans over the ship's cargo. According to the Wall Street Journal and Reuters, the tanker is owned by a Greek ship owner and was chartered by a commodity trading house based in Switzerland. Reports say the ship was carrying Russian oil and other fuels, violating, of course, the U.S. embargo on Russian energy put in place in March. And Disney announcing it is extending CEO Bob Chapek's contract by more than three years. His current contract was set to expire next February. Company's board voting unanimously to keep Chapek on its staff. Chapek facing a rocky tenure so far, including engaging in a political battle with leaders in Florida and reorganizing Disney's media 
and entertainment business. The company is stocked down more than 35% year-to-date, and a new Pixar Disney movie, Lightyear, appears to be, well, for that movie anyway, kind of a bust. Well, time for your morning RBI, and let's get random but interesting today on something we all wish we could do right now, and that is fly private. Because while airports are packed and flight delays are happening all over the place, those who fly private face none of that. You park, you walk into your terminal, and within probably 10 minutes, you're in the air. And if you're a CEO or top company executive, this is usually a huge perk of your job. You're not schlepping in Newark for a 7 a.m. United flight. You're rolling into Teterboro to hop on your G6 or Global 6500. And even with your company dropping $10,000 or more per hour, despite that high cost, the private jet perk is booming post-COVID. The Financial Times crunched ISS data and found out what companies are paying up. And overall, the average spent on top executives for private jet use rose 36% last year to $170,000. That number is small potatoes overall, because 15 companies spent more than $500,000 each last year to ferry around their top execs. Eight of those spent more than $700,000, all just on private jet travel. And the biggest spender of all? was Facebook, Meta Platforms. The FT found that Facebook's parent company, Meta, spent $1.6 million just on private jets, much of that likely to fly Mark Zuckerberg and his family and business lieutenants around. Chicken producer Tyson Foods came in at second at $1.3 million. That's a lot of wings you got to sell. And Lockheed Martin also dropped more than a million bucks in private jet flights. The FT reporting about One-third of that was just for the CEO's personal flights to his home out of state, an empty plane, so-called deadheading, moving around. Must be nice. Ford, the aforementioned Apple, Las Vegas Sands, Warner Brothers Discovery, and FedEx, also on the list of the biggest jet setters. And remember, if you're a shareholder, this is your money. Public companies don't have money. They have your money. Now, to be fair, does anybody expect Apple CEO Tim Cook to fly commercial? No way. He'd be constantly bothered by people offering tips on how to fix or make the iPhone better. But as a shareholder, these are numbers you might want to pay attention to, or maybe we're just jealous. Let's be honest. Random, but interesting. All right, on deck. Stocks ongoing struggle showing little signs of abating. Ally Invest Lindsay Bell is here to lay out what she says, though, the market maybe a little closer to the bottom than we think. And a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast while you're stuck at the airport for hours with thousands of others of your closest friends. Listen to our podcast and brighten your day. We're back after this. All right, let's round out the show again by talking macro markets and your money. Stocks trying yet again to end the month and a quarter on a high note. Good luck. With the S&P 500 tracking for its worst start to a year since 1970. By the way, it's when Midnight Cowboy won the best picture at the Oscars. Milk was a buck 32 a gallon. Gasoline, 36 cents a gallon. The world champion, baseball anyway, was the hated Baltimore Orioles. And the top-rated TV show was Marcus Welby, MD. I was also not a glimmer in my parents' eye. Perhaps they were on a date that year. I was to be born one year later. Lucky you. Joining us now is Ally Invest, Lindsay Bell, also 
a CNBC contributor. I mean, we're trying to make a little bit light of it I, because what else are you going to do? It's so painful. How could you not, Lindsay? I mean, worst start to a first half since 1970. Tell us there's nowhere to go but up. <laughs> well, I don't have a crystal ball, Brian, um, but there are there is the possibility that we're closer to the bottom than we think. Um, if we look back at history, for example, um, of all the bear markets that we've seen since 1946, we've seen them bottom at about a 25 or 27 percent decline. If you're looking at a, a garden variety decline, so that's a decline of 20 to 40 percent. So we got down about 23 percent. I know today after the recent bounce, we're down about 18, 19 percent on a, on a year to date basis. Um, it, it, but but so we could be closer to the bottom, but it's really going to hinge on what the Fed does, what happens with inflation and what happens with economic data and the consumer going forward. So that's what we really have to keep our eye on here. Yeah, and Fed, uh, Cleveland Fed President Rodham Mester speaking to CNBC Europe today, making headlines and using words like uh, painful. She used the term bumpy ride. I mean, you know, Lindsay, Fed heads watch their words really carefully, right? And using words like painful, you don't hear that much from a Fed head. That didn't give me a lot of confidence. Yeah, I mean, the Fed is so, so focused on taming inflation. I, I think the majority of her message, though, was in line with the rest of the Fed speak that we've been hearing lately. It's no surprise when she said she was hoping for that 75 percent or 75 basis point uh, hike in July. The market's already pricing that in. But more concerning is what happens in the second half of the year. And that's going to depend on inflation. If you look at places like Goldman Sachs, they're not expecting it. They're expecting inflation to come down over the next several months. But it's really going to end the year around 6% by their estimates. That's extremely high versus historical standards. So for the Fed to tame it further from there, they're going to have to be aggressive. And the one thing that I'm going to be watching is what happens in the August time frame, because they've got the July meeting where they'll move rates, and they got September. August, they've, they've got uh, the Jackson Hole Symposium, where we'll hear a lot of speak from them about their, their plans moving forward. And I have to wonder if inflation is going to run hot, which we don't know, and they can. Um, are they going to do an intermediate yeah. uh, Fed hike? So that's what I'm going to watch. Well, that could be the summer surprise, if you will, Lindsay. Listen, uh, leave us with a little reason to be optimistic, aside from the fact that we might be getting close to a bottom. If you're a 10-year or longer investor, I would imagine you, you want to buy lower, right? I mean, every, every drop in the past 30 to 50 years has ultimately been a longer-term buying opportunity where you're getting stocks at a discount to what you would have previously paid. Hey, yeah, I say look at the market's history. It's, it's always recovered from bear markets um, in, in the past, right? But you've got to be that longer-term investor. The good news is here, we're, we could be going into a recession. We're already in a bear market uh, with corporations and the consumer in really solid positions that the corporations have more than double cash they they had after rebuilding after the great financial crisis the consumer still has more than 2 trillion in cash and on their balance sheets which they are yeah. dipping into to help offset some of these higher prices um, but it it's it's a better place to start from than where, where we started from in early 2020 or early 2019 well 2020 said. as the pandemic yeah. 
Lindsay, we'll leave it there. Well said. Thank you very much, Lindsay Bell of Ally Invest. Lindsay, have a great day, folks. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. I'm off the show tomorrow. I'll see you Friday. Squawk is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.